Okay, Romans chapter number 7, Romans chapter number 7. We'll get into this in just a moment. It's good to see you. How many of you, this is your very first college day? Very first college day. May I see your hands, please? Okay, several of you. That's wonderful. And uh, I'm also curious, how many have never heard, or until you got here, have never heard about the generation? T-H-E-E, -E, generation. Anybody not heard about that? Okay, some of you haven't. And I know most of you are familiar with the generation. And I just uh, want to encourage you that we have a weekly podcast, and it's a really a ministry trying to encourage you in your walk with God. And I would encourage you to tune in there to uh, thegeneration.org, and that's double E, T-H-E-E, -E, generation.org. How many have ever listened to a podcast? Can I see your hands, please? Oh, wow, great. Got a lot listening to the podcast. We've got some new ones. Uh, some of you are familiar with that. Pastor Mark Gilmore, if you were here yesterday, and he's talking about missions. He has one called Go Mission, and that's a monthly podcast. Ryan Swanson has started one dealing with purity issues called Satisfied. That's a monthly podcast. And then Anna Faith Gilmore, who just gave testimony, her and my daughter Jana Faith, have started Faith Talks, and they just recorded one last night. It's coming out, I think, today or tomorrow, and it is called, uh, it's on insecurity. So I know, don't be insecure about it. Make sure you listen to it, and uh, that'll be for you young ladies. Guys can't listen to it. It's just for the girls, okay, Faith Talks. And that's, uh, that's coming out. So we're excited about what's going on. And then every once in a while, Bobby and I do a podcast. I know we're the boring ones, but those are the good ones. And uh, uh, so anyway, you can, uh, I'm just teasing with you. But we'd love you to join up, be one of our podcast listeners. They're usually not too long. Uh, just trying to encourage you on, on a weekly basis in your walk with God. So I want to mention that, uh, just our part uh, in trying to encourage this generation. Well, I want to deal with something this morning that you're really good at. Now, I know our students are great at this. I know it seems funny to preach on something people are good at, but I think I need to do it. Uh, I know our students are phenomenal at it. And uh, I, I suppose if I was talking to some of your parents and youth pastors, I bet you some of you are really good at it too. I want to preach on failure. Yeah, I want to preach on failure. And uh, some of you are really good at it. And uh, uh, I'm going to, in fact, I'm going to prove you're good at it. How many out here have ever made a decision for the Lord? You meant it. You weren't joking around. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a ruse. It wasn't some kind of trying to throw somebody off. You sincerely got some things right with God. And maybe for a few days, even weeks, you really lived it. But you got to admit, boy, you ended up going back on that decision and living like you were before you ever made that decision. Now, if that's ever occurred in your life, as I hate to admit it has in mind far more than I'd like to admit, would you with me raise your hand? Wow, room full of failures. Wow, unbelievable. So here's what I want to preach on. The silver lining of failure. Amen. Silver lining of failure. Did you know there's silver lining in failure? I don't know about you. I don't like to fail. None of us do. But wouldn't it be nice if you could learn from your defeat? That gives some redeeming value to it. Amen. Something. Did you know that God gives us what I'm going to call, this is dated, but the videotapes of defeat in Romans chapter 7. Now, I know this sounds funny, but even our world understands the value of defeat, doesn't it? particularly on sports, okay? And I'm going to give an illustration. This dates me, but I'm dated anyway. But anyway, so here it is. Uh, I, I know this is going to shock some of you that are not from the area, but I'm a Chicago Bears fan. You say, how can you be a Chicago Bears fan in Green Bay Packer territory? It's real simple. Keep your mouth shut. That's what you do. You keep your mouth shut. Uh, it's really not too bad because the Packers fans do not feel threatened by the Bears. Nobody feels threatened by the Bears. Okay, so it's not too bad these days to be a Bears fan. Uh, but anyway, I'm not a very good fan. I couldn't tell you much about them. I just tell you we got quarterback trouble, but that's nothing's new. That's been for 15 decades, okay? So uh, we've had quarterback trouble. But, um, but anyway... Uh, Back in the mid-1980s, the Chicago Bears were doing something the Bears never do, and that is play football. And uh, so uh, 
they were tearing up the NFL. Now, I know not, you kids are just, some of the old folks out here can remember this. Man, they had a team. Now, it was a defense. That's the Bears are always better on defense than offense. Uh, their defense was phenomenal. Had a guy named Refrigerator Perry that was on the front line. 300-plus pounds, Clemson University, number 72 right there. Okay, on the front line, a brick wall. And uh, uh, then, of course, they had a secondary, second to none. I mean, I mean they were just uh, linebackers right there, Mike Singletary. And uh, how many know what I'm talking about? Yeah, okay, yeah, some of these guys remember back to those of the Chicago Bears. Then they had an offense, quarterback stunk. Of course, Bears quarterbacks always do. But they had a great running back, Walter Payton. And uh, anyway, they had a great team. They really did. And they were just rolling through the NFL, just beating everybody. And there began to be talk, these guys are going undefeated. This is going to be the first undefeated we've team since, since uh, the 1972 Miami Dolphins. Now, you may not know this, but since the Super Bowls began, there has only been one team going undefeated. Did you know that? Only one team. The 1972 Miami Dolphins. And I'm told, I don't know if this is true or not, but every time the last undefeated team uh, loses. Uh, the, are the, yeah, the last time an undefeated team loses in a season, the 72 Dolphins meet and celebrate their undefeated season, which they've been able to do ever since 1972. Okay, they've been able to meet and celebrate their uh, milestone. Uh, well, the, the uh, Bears were rolling through it, and the Dolphins were getting worried, the 72 Dolphins, which were in wheelchairs by then. But anyway, and uh, uh, they're getting worried. Like, our, 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 our record is in jeopardy. And so uh, there was a Monday night football game, and the uh, Chicago Bears were going to play the Miami Dolphins, led by a guy named Dan Marino. If you don't know anything about that, he was a quarterback. And uh, uh, so anyway, they were going to meet on a Monday night. And uh, it was the last NFL football game I have watched from start to finish. I mean, every play, I watched the whole game. And I have friends who were in the stadium in Miami who liked to rub in what happened that Monday night because uh, Marino and the Dolphins dismantled the Bears' secondary and at will walked down the field, and they won by a couple of times. It wasn't even close. And the Bears' undefeated season was thwarted. Uh, they lost uh, that game. That was the only game they lost all season long. But anyway, it looked like at the very end of the season there was going to be a rematch. It looked like the Dolphins were going to play the Bears in the Super Bowl. Now, that didn't end up happening because the Patriots, this is pre-Tom Brady, okay, way pre-Tom Brady, the Patriots somehow knocked the Dolphins off of the AFC Championship game. But it looked like there was going to be a rematch. Now, here's the question. If there was a rematch between the Dolphins and the Bears, what would have Mike Ditka and the Bears coaching staff done with those Monday night game films? Throw them in the garbage can? No, I don't think so. They would have watched them backwards and forwards to try to determine one thing. Why did we lose? You know why? Because if they understood why they could lost, they might be able to come up with a game plan so they could win. Now, this happens all the time. In any serious level of sports, if you lose you, and you meet the team again later on, particularly when the stakes are higher, you want to find out, why did we lose that time? Because we got to adjust it so we win the next time. See, you get that, don't you? That's why I believe God gave us Romans chapter 7. You know the encouraging thing about Romans chapter 7? It's talking about defeat. You wouldn't think there'd be a whole lot of encouraging about that. But do you know who the guy who's writing his autobiography? Paul. Paul is letting us have a glimpse into his Christian experience, early Christian experience, and helping us understand why do people get defeated. Well, why? Because Romans chapter 8 tells us the answer. 
Now, I don't have time to preach through two chapters, but I'm just going to do a flyover. And as an evangelist, if you ever become an evangelist, you'll have to learn how to do flyovers because that's what you got to do. You got to fly over. Now, you pastors, they don't fly over. They got to get down in the forest and walk through a series, okay? Uh, uh, sometimes, whatever. They'll have a series on one word, okay? But anyway, uh, that's, uh, that's a little more pastoral. But uh, uh, some of the pastors are shaking their heads. They get that. So we're going to have to do a quick flyover of Romans chapter 7. But I want us to see two things that you can discover about defeat that actually are the silver lining of failure. Okay, because there's an answer to these two things. This is great. Okay, I hope you're excited. I know many of you are. I can just see it out there because uh, you, you fail all the time. And you'd like to uh, turn this thing, the stumbling block, into a stepping stone. So look at verse number 7. And there's much I could say, but let's just dive right into it. What shall we say then is the law of sin? God forbid. Okay, in other words, Paul's saying, you know, I find that every time, uh, well, we're going to let him speak. Nay, I've not known sin, but by the law. For I, I, I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead. Now you say, what does the world that mean? It means this. Okay, don't miss this. Have you ever noticed when somebody tells you not to do something, you want to do it? And when somebody tells you to do something, you don't want to do it. Okay, well, it's like this. Uh, if I had put up ahead of, of the, the, the day today, a uh, sign somewhere where you were walking around and put on it, wet paint, do not touch. See, you could walk by that wall a million times and have no desire to touch the wall. But the moment it says wet paint, do not touch, there is something inside of every one of you that wants to touch it. You know how I know that? Because I want to touch it. I look at it and say, that sign's old. That paint's dry. I know it's dry. You look at it like an inch away, and everything inside of you wants to touch the dumb wall. You understand that? See, that's what the Bible says. When God says, don't do this, something inside of us wants to do it. That's called concupiscence. Wrong desire. You've been walking down a nice neighborhood. There's a well-manicured lawn. I mean, you can tell they put time into that lawn. And that's one of the advantages living in a neighborhood that doesn't have well-manicured lawns. Doesn't take you as much time. But anyway, and so you're, you're walking by this, and it says, keep off the grass. Now, I don't know about you, but it's exactly what I want to do. I'm not saying I do it, but I'm being honest with you. I want to. You want to walk down the road? Stop, step on the grass, and keep going. Now, why is that? That's strange, isn't it? I can walk by lawns all day long. Now, I have no desire to step on the lawn. But put a keep off the grass sign, and brother, you want to, step, you want to put your foot on that grass. I went to a college where they had a rule. You could not walk on the grass. You couldn't. I mean, you get in trouble. You get the merits for walking on the grass. Do you know what some students did? Walked on the grass. <laughs> you see, uh, that's what it is. Sometimes uh, we find ourselves provoked. I, I know this is strange, and I was reading an article that kind of mentioned this, but when I grew up, we had ethnic jokes. Did you know that? That would be politically incorrect today. <laughs> totally incorrect. But the ethnic jokes I grew up around, I lived in Chicago, which was a European ethnic group. Uh, which basically means everybody was white, okay? But anyway, a European ethnic group, and you know what? They still made fun of each other, okay? You know what I'm talking about? Did you know that white privilege, some white people make fun of other white people, okay? But anyway, since we're not on live stream, I can talk about this, okay? But anyway, and the jokes they used to tell were, hey, on Pollock jokes. How many have ever heard of Pollock jokes? Okay. Now, you have to understand, I like Brother Steve Brudnick. How many know Steve Brudnick? He's one of our pastors. Uh, Steve is half Polish and half Russian. 
And every time he tells you that, he says, don't worry about it. He said, I'm too dumb to kill you. Okay, so I like that. Okay, you don't understand. See, so you got to think about that. Okay. See, we used to joke about that kind of stuff all the time. See, I'm Dutch. You know, you say, what are you? Well, Dutch people are known to be skin flints, and they're also known to lose every war they've ever been in. <laughs> okay, so uh, we joke about Dutch people. They can't win a war if they put a gun to their head. Okay, now we're good at resistance. Okay, when the Nazis occupied us, we caused them all kinds of trouble. But anyway, so, uh, but anyway, I don't know why. I, I, didn't, I didn't plan on getting into that. But anyway, okay. So I grew up in a European ethnic group. Now, I'm telling you, we did. Okay, there were the Polish kids. I was Dutch. There were German kids. There were Italian kids. Boy, were there jokes, Italian jokes. And we kind of joked with each other. It was kind of no big deal. Nobody thought about it. It wasn't politically incorrect. It was just, uh, we just had a good time with each other. I, and I'm saying that's all seriousness. I know it's a shock to some of you, but anyway. Uh, so, uh, but I remember one particular Polak joke. I don't remember many of them. Well, I, I, there are some I remember. I remember one Polak joke. I really like this one. Uh, it said, uh, how many Americans does it take to screw in a light bulb? And the guy would say, one. And then he'd go, ha, ha, ha. Okay. But anyway, if you've never heard a Pollock joke, you don't get that. <laughs> See, only the older people are laughing. Okay, you didn't get that at all. Okay. But anyway, I, uh, uh, but anyway there was this Polish young man. And uh, again, please understand, there's the Pollock jokes. It could have been anybody, any of the ethnic groups. But, uh, but anyway, so, uh, uh, but we, uh, we, um, we used to, I, I remember the, the joke was basically this. There was this Polish young man, and uh, he was dating this girl. He was not a student at Baptist College of Ministry, but anyway, he was dating this girl, and he was driving out west. And he was driving down the road. Some highway robbers kind of surrounded him, one before, one behind, one behind. They kind of pulled him off the side of the road. And they uh, yanked the guy out of the car, drew a four-foot in diameter circle in the sand, put him in the middle of the circle, and said, buddy, if you step out of this circle, we'll kill you. And uh, so then they proceeded to take his car, which was a brand new car, and uh, they lit a match, threw it in the gas tank. Car, boom. They looked over at the guy, expecting him into sheer horror and terror, and he was laughing. Now, these highway robbers were deeply offended because, I mean, they kind of thrived on the intimidation and the fear they would call their, cause their victims. And so they're a little, uh, uh, say, we can't have this. And so they took the burning car, and it was right there on a cliff, and they pushed it off, and it rolled down the, 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 down the cliff. And I uh, looked at the guy. Now he's slapping his knee. He's laughing so hard. Then they took a girlfriend. This is just a joke, just a joke. Took the girlfriend, threw her over the cliff. Okay. Now the guy's doubled over. He can't even stand up straight. He's laughing so hard. And they looked at him and said, hey, bud, we've destroyed your car. We've thrown it off the cliff. We've thrown your girlfriend off the cliff. Why are you laughing? He said, when you weren't looking, I stepped out of the circle three times. <laughs> Now, the, tr the truth is, see, the truth is all of us understand that, don't we? <laughs> see, that's what this verse is simply trying to help you understand. It's like this. We all understand. It's a human dynamic. It's called, we could call it our Adamic nature. It is the sin nature. But the Bible is simply saying, listen, when God says, uh, the, God come along and says, thou shalt not covet, there was something inside of us that said, that's what I want to do. See, we all get that dynamic. So, so he's helping us understand something. Now, hang with me. We're kind of rolling through this. Now, notice what we're going to see here. I'm going to do something. I'm going to read three verses. And when I come to the end of the verse, I'm going to put my fingers on my ears, and I want you to finish the verse. Okay? So uh, we're going to learn something here about what happens when this dynamic takes place. Verse number 9. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and? And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto? For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it. 
Now, isn't this a bit interesting? Three times the Apostle Paul says, I died. Now, that's kind of strange in an autobiography. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever read an autobiography where the guy talks about dying? That'd be kind of neat with it. And then I died and everybody cried and they took me down the funeral home and they embalmed my body. Boy, was that grisly stuff. And then, uh, you know, that, you know, that would kind of be, boy, that would sell, wouldn't it? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so obviously the Apostle Paul is, is not talking about physical death. You know why? I know this is going to shock you. Dead people don't write. Did you know that? They don't write. They don't write. So what is he talking about? We well, certainly can't be talking about physical death. And he can't even be talking about spiritual death because Paul, we know, didn't go to hell. Right. So what's he talking about? Oh, this is really good. What's he talking about? Because there's only one option left. In chapter number 8, he says this, For to be carnally minded is death. He is talking about a spiritual deadness that comes into the life of a believer when we say no to God and yes to our flesh. That means we need, don't miss this, revival. See, revival is life again. It's getting past the life that you once had. But you have to understand, do you know why we get into spiritual deadness? Because you have to understand, life is not an it, it's a person. Jesus said, I am the bread of? I am the resurrection and the? See, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the? See, Jesus, understand, life is not an it, life's a person. You can grieve a person, you can quench a person, and the whole point is this. When you and I say no to God and yes to what we want, we grieve the life. And there's deadness that comes into our heart. So I want you to understand the first thing that happens when you and I fail, we're just kind of setting this thing up. We're not to our first point yet. That I want you to understand the first thing that happens when you and I fail is spiritual deadness. Have you ever noticed that? You don't want to read your Bible. You don't want to pray. You don't want to go to church. You don't want to do the right thing. You see, all of us understand that, and that's what the Apostle Paul is simply saying. He says it's a dynamic in the human experience that occurs, that when God says don't do this, or somebody else says don't do this, this is a line, don't go across this, or do do this. There's something inside of us that wants us to step over the line. If we succumb to the temptation and step over the line, spiritual deadness comes into our spiritual existence. Now, let's continue on. There's something else that happens here. He addresses the issue, then somebody said, well, the problem's the line. Now, I don't know how to explain this. I work with Christian school kids. And sometimes Christian school kids will say, well, the problem's the rule. That's the problem. Now, is that an, is that an accurate argument? Is the problem the rule? I want to ask you a question. Let's imagine, a, you know, every, every Christian school I've ever been in, everyone for the girls has a skirt length rule. Did you know that? They all do. They have a skirt length rule. Now, they're all different. I mean, they're similar, very similar, but, you know, they're different. And I'm going to tell you, every skirt length rule, don't miss this, uh, is related to the knee. Did you know that? You know why? Because everybody has one. Okay. Uh, it's like either middle of the knee, bottom of the knee. Sometimes I've seen top of the knee and sometimes two inches below, whatever. But every Christian school has a skirt length rule. So let's imagine a group of girls came to the principal uh, and a little upset about the rule, and they urged the principal, we've got a problem and we're struggling with this rule. Here's what you need to do. You need to change the rule. Now I want to ask you a question. Let's imagine that the principal changes the rule. Now don't miss this. Did he solve the problem? And the answer is no. Because no. the problem's not 
the line. The problem is those girls' hearts. Now, notice this, because he's going to tell us that. Look what he says here. Now, he's talking about not just a rule. He's talking about his law, God's law. So, look at 12. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good. Problem's not the line. Was then that which is good made death unto me? Okay, is the problem that the line provoked me? God forbid. But sin, there's the problem, that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Here it is. For we know that the law is spiritual, but here it is. Where's the problem? But I am fleshly. I'm carnal, sold unto sin. Now that brings me to point number two. The very first thing stepping over the line will do is bring spiritual deadness into your heart. The second thing violating God's law will do is bring you into bondage. Sold under sin. It's like this, friends. One thing you need to understand is when you start saying yes to sin, pretty soon you won't, pretty soon you won't be able to say no to it. See, for a while it seems that you're the master. But after a while, sin always becomes your master. Right. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness, Romans 6 says. Yeah. In other words, you can choose your master, but once you choose your master, that's your master. <laughs> so he got sold into sin. Remember, I remember years ago working with a young man. I don't have time to tell this whole story. It's a very interesting story. But uh, uh, he got assurance of salvation, had some major needs in his life, and, and uh, he was a young man that had, had watched way too much science fiction. He watched so much science fiction that the line between fiction and reality was blurred. You ever met anybody like that? It's kind of weird. Like one day he came to me, and I was at his, a camp he was at, and he said, Pastor Jim, that's what he called me. He said, Pastor Jim, he said, I came out of the chapel. And they were looking at me. Oh, I said they were. <laughs> Who were they? He says, you know, the aliens. <laughs> I'm thinking, hopefully they're illegal. Okay, in other words, what kind of aliens? I don't want the ones with antennas. You know what I'm talking about? Wow, I'm thinking, woo, this guy's watched one too much sci-fi. Right. He had a lot of issues in his life. This was before my journey, but looking back, father issues and insecurity and everybody in the school made fun of him and a lot of needs in his life make a long story God just allowed me to intersect him several times he got assurance of salvation got right with God gave himself to the Lord went to a Bible college it was a remarkable thing but I remember as he was growing and learning to, through things I when I would ever come through that town when, where his Bible college was we'd go out to eat the CC's pizza remember CC's pizza $3.99 all the cardboard pizza you can eat unbelievable <laughs> We'd go out to CC's Pizza, and uh, he'd load up, you know, he'd have a big stack of pizza there, and uh, we'd start talking. I remember one time I was asking him, because I knew movie watching was his thing. So I said to him, I said, you've gotten victory over watching movies that you know would grieve the Holy Spirit? And he basically said, you know, while I'm in college, I obey the rules. They had rules at the college you couldn't. And he said, I obey the rules, I don't go. But he said, man, when summertime, he says, i got to be honest with you. He said, I just, I go wild watching movies. And then he proceeded to tell me all the movies he'd watched the last summer and why no Christian should watch them. That's kind of strange, isn't it? He's this movie, Ants. No Christian ought to be watching it, this, this, this. I don't know. I've never seen Ants. I have no idea. That's years ago. And uh, so he's telling me all this stuff, and I'm kind of, kind of amazed. And uh, I basically looked at him and said, uh, well, if you know they're wrong, why do you watch them? And I'll never forget his answer. 
He looked at me, and this is not language I would use, but he looked at me and he just going to simply say, he said, I'm just a sucker for the latest flick. You know what he was saying this to this? To me, he was simply saying this. I'm sold into sin. <laughs> I don't want to do it. I know I shouldn't do it. But I end up doing it. Does that sound familiar? See, understand the dynamic the Apostle Paul is helping us understand. Then he says some verses here that absolutely are so stunning in our identification with this dynamic. I want you to, I want you to see it. Look what we'll, uh, let's just go uh, right here in verse number 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent to the law that it is good. Now then it is no more. Either do it but sin that dwelleth in me. See, what is he saying here? He's saying the things I don't want to do, I end up doing them. And the things I do, should do, I don't do them. I know I ought to try to win people to Jesus, but I don't. And I know I ought to spend time with God, but I don't. And I know I ought to read my Bible, but I don't. And I know I should treat my parents right, but I don't. And I know I shouldn't watch some of that stuff that I've been watching, but I do. And, and I know I shouldn't listen to that music uh, that grieves the Holy Spirit, but I do. And I know I uh, shouldn't talk that way to my parents, but I do. Sound familiar? You say, well, preacher, I'm not seeing a lot of silver lining here. <laughs> well, look at verse 18. It gives the first ray of hope. I want you to see this. Look at verse number 18. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. Amen. Say, preacher, I don't find any hope in that. I do. Yes, amen. And here it is. Number one, silver lining of failure. In my own strength, I can't. In my own strength, I can't. There are dear young people out here who have tried to live the Christian life. Maybe you've been to camp, conferences, revival meetings. You've heard preaching. You've heard the Word of God. You get stirred in your heart. I need to do this or I shouldn't do this. And like I said, for a while, you get out there and in your heart to will is present with me. I mean, I want to do this thing. But you find yourself defeated and you throw your arms up and say, but how to perform that which is good? I don't know how to do it. As much as it's painful, you will never find victory until you realize that you're in and of yourselves. You can't do it. You've got to come to where the Apostle Paul does. In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. You've got to come to the end of yourself. Now I'm going to get ahead of myself and make a statement, and then we'll put it all together. The beginning, let me say this, the end of self is the beginning of God. But you're not going to come to the beginning of God as long as you've still got self-dependence in your life. That's why it's silver lining. I can have testimony after testimony in this of our students who will tell you they came to life for the time when they got sick of it. They got sick of their defeat. They got sick of their powerlessness. They got sick of their anemic Christianity. They got sick of it. That was the beginning. Amen. And I will tell you, friends, the silver lining of defeat, I'm just telling you right now, is when you get absolutely sick of yourself, sick of the defeat, sick of the powerlessness, sick of it. You say, I'm done with it, man. I don't want it, but I may not know how. To Will's present with me, I don't know how to get there, but I want to. So number one, in my own strength, I can't. See, just remember these two things. In my own strength, I can't. Okay, now let's, uh, there's much more. He goes back and basically says the same thing again in verse 19. For the good I would, I do not. The evil which I would not, that I do. 
He goes through this. Don't have time to go through. There's some wonderful truth in the intervening verses, but for time we're just trying to catch it. Go down to verse 24. He says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Do you get a sense of the despair here? Some scholars believe, and I think they might be right, that he is referring to the Aeneid written by Virgil. And in the Aeneid written by Virgil, which is not something I know, this is only from a commentary, I've not read the Aeneid written by Virgil, probably never will, I hate to tell you that. But anyway, anyway, uh, I understand that there's a scene in there where a man murders a man, and they take the murdered man, and they tied him to the murderer. So you got the dead man was either tied back to back or maybe even face to face. That would be gruesome, wouldn't it? Tied to, to the dead man. And as the dead man began to corrupt, and began to rot, I'm not, I hate to be blunt, but began to rot, the corruption from the dead man would come into the living man and slowly kill him. You know how that is? If you put a rotten apple right next to a good apple, guess what happens? The rotten apple becomes good, right? <laughs> no, I don't think so. The good apple becomes rotten, same principle. And so what some scholars think, I think they might be right, that the Apostle Paul is referring to as something that would not be in our Western mindset. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this rotting corpse that's killing me? So who's going to deliver you? Who's going to deliver you from your selfishness? Who's going to deliver you from the, the, the selfishness that drives you to look at junk? Who's going to deliver you from your addiction to ungodly media? Who's going to deliver you from listening to music that grieves the Holy Spirit? Who's going to deliver you from your disrespect toward mom and dad? Who's going to deliver you from your self-focus? Who's going to deliver you from your absence and lack of love for the Bible and lack of love for Jesus and spending time with them? Who's going to deliver you? Well, there is an answer. Right. Yes. Verse 25 has an answer. Amen. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. He said, I thank God. Here it is, the answer, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, so here's the silver lining. That's all I want you to remember. Number one, in my own strength I can't. Number two, in his strength I can. Amen. That's the silver lining of failure. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And you know what? There's some of you in this room that know that. But you know what God does? He lets you fail because some of you don't believe it. And once you get it in your heart, in my own strength, I really can't. I believe it now. But I can do all things with Christ, through Christ. In his strength, I can. I can. Wow. That's phenomenal. There's not a young person in this room, I don't care how defeated you are, I don't matter, it doesn't matter what the junk you've done, the stuff you've been looking at, the stuff you've gotten into your life, I'm not a teenager in this room, if you would not turn to Jesus, he could not deliver you, free you, clean you up, and give you victory that you never thought possible. Right. You say, how can you say that? Because right. I get to see it all the time. Amen. <laughs> but you'll never get there until you come to the end of yourself and say, right. in my own strength, yes. I can't. Now, let me help you out with something, because many of times we fail and we just get discouraged. Do you know that that discouragement is the wrong window when you fail? Did you know that? See, I'll put it this way. Failure is God's reminder that you cannot live your Christian life in your own strength. Let me say it again. Failure is God's reminder that you cannot live the Christian life in your own strength. So, if you fail, can I say this carefully? God is tapping you on the shoulder and saying, see, try to do it in your own strength. Can't do it. Can I ask you this? What is the core issue of discouragement? I think all of you know this. Unbelief. Now, why do we fail? And the answer is unbelief. 
So I got a real quick question for you. When you fail, which is unbelief, how can discouragement, which is unbelief, be the cure for unbelief? See, unbelief is not the cure for unbelief. Did you know when you fail and you get discouraged that actually I think sometimes that's the greater sin than the actual failure? You say, well, preacher, what's the answer? The answer is this, that if unbelief got you into the mess, the only thing that's going to get you out of the mess is trusting Jesus to do what you can't do. Trusting Jesus to forgive you, to cleanse you, to restore you, to give you victory where you've been defeated. I mean, it's trusting Jesus to do what you can't do. I put it this way. I'm the messer-upper. He's the fixer-upper. Amen. It's good. You get a hold of that. Failure should... Now, again, I don't want to fail. I sometimes get... Uh, boy, I wish I hadn't failed. But the answer is not despair. It's not discouragement. It's Amen. not even disappointment. The answer is Jesus. That's right. See, that's the answer. You get a hold of that, young people, you will save yourself a lot of misery in your Christian life. Yes, Jesus is always the answer for all, all our unbelief. See, in my own strength, I can't, but in His strength, I can. And it really is the answer. I, I don't even know how to explain it. Let me just conclude with this, and we'll, we'll wind her down. I was, uh, years ago, uh, was in a, a large Christian school in the state of New Jersey. Uh, probably 150 kids, 7 to 12. I mean, these kids were all into War Special Forces. Now, if you have never done War Special Forces, you have not lived. I'm telling you. I like it so much, I do it almost every week of my life. I, I, it's just great. I just love it. There's nothing like the atmosphere. And you can tell I just love it. Absolutely love it. I'll be back in the saddle here in a week doing War Special Forces. But anyway, they were all in. I mean, it was intense competition. Um, but when I got up to preach... I know it was nothing personal because they responded to the team, they programmed, but man, I get to preach, it was like brick wall, just brick wall. So I'll give an invitation on Wednesday, our first day, 150 kids, four kids respond, which is not highly unusual. And I sat down with one of the four, a kid named Dylan. I said, Dylan, what's up? He told me. Can't even remember what he told me. Then I said, anything else? He said, yeah, my music. I said, what are you talking about? He said, man, I, got, I listen to the worst stuff out there, which was the year 2000. He said, Marilyn Manson, all just bad stuff. Uh, he sa I said, what are you going to do about it? He said, well, I know I need to get rid of it. He said, but I can't. He said, I'm addicted. He said, I know I need to, but I just can't. Well, we talked a little bit about it, and finally he said, well, you know, preacher, I, I'm, just not, I'm just not going to. I said, okay. I said, we're not going to fill out a decision card, and we're not even going to pray. I said, God's not interested in 99%. Unless you're willing to do everything he was dealing with you about, it's not going to work. Right. We didn't leave with it. There was not tension. There was no problem. We just left understanding what it was. Yep. I, got a, I got sin in my life. I don't think I can get rid of it. I'm addicted. He basically was saying, I can't. Yes. So we parted. Again, no tension between us at all, really. And uh, next day I gave an invitation. Nothing. Nobody came forward. Friday preached, gave an invitation. One person. Okay, five people out of 150 kids and needs were everywhere. Well, on that afternoon, we had a split session. Normally, I just let the guys do it, but I felt led of the Lord to go in and preach on Romans 7. A little quicker version than I just preached, but about 20 minutes. Preached on Romans 7. We gave an invitation, and I will tell you, about a third of the guys peeled out to get right with God. So, about 25 guys. And they crammed into a coach's office. I can still walk, in my mind's eye right now, I can see myself walking into that coach's office. The guys are crammed everywhere. They're kneeling, they're praying, and I'm kind of group counseling them. And I said, okay, guys. I said, after you're done praying, see a team member. Don't leave without seeing a team member. We're trying to get some kind of help, you know, give them verse a sheet, whatever. And so um, 
I, I noticed Dylan was praying. Now, Dylan, you have to understand, he had the, the Gothic, I, I think he died, but he had, you know, the black accent. He was clearly Gothic in his dress and in his, uh, uh, his whole demeanor. And I noticed Dylan's over there praying, and then Dylan gets up, walks out, and didn't stop to talk to the team member. And I didn't stop him. I just didn't feel that to. I just let it go. I was disappointed, but I let him go. Well, that night we had the campfire service and I was really wondering what would happen at the testimony time. And obviously we had some of the young men get right with the Lord. And so the kids began, a few of them, not a lot, began to line up to give testimonies. And I noticed Dylan had lined up to give a testimony. Dylan had a ball cap on. I can still see him in my mind's eye. And, and um, uh, he was on the Marine team and he had uh, kind of looked like a leather strap that would come out of a baseball glove and he had it uh, like and he had CDs this is before the download generation right through it he'd he'd thread it right in the right through the center of the CDs so he had about 80 CDs it looked like keys but instead of keys it was CDs and he's carrying it and he had a backpack on over one shoulder and he's carrying the CDs and he comes up to his team captain the marine team captain the marine captain looks at me and clears him now at this point I'm I'm just nervous because I'm thinking, I don't want a testimony of somebody who's come 50%. Right. Well, Dylan comes up to the microphone. I do not remember being impacted by his testimony because I believe that he was still at the crisis. But then it happened. He stopped giving his testimony and he stepped to the, micro, uh, stepped to the fire. And he had about $1,000 worth of music in that hand. And I don't know how to explain this. There are about 150 kids there that night. I thought, no, there's about 200 people there that night. Uh, uh, there were all, almost every teenager, but there were a lot of adults that came out of curiosity. I mean, God was doing something. We just didn't see it at the time. So he steps up there, and I don't know if you've never worked with teenagers, you're not going to understand this. Teenagers can fool people. They can fool their teachers. They can fool their parents. They can fool the grandparents. They can fool the little old ladies at church. But there is one group that teenagers cannot fool, and that is each other. <laughs> And when Dylan stepped to that fire, you could almost feel it like, you got to be kidding me, Dylan. And I remember Dylan was sitting there in that fire, and he was wrestling with God. And finally, I remember he cocked that hand back, and he threw $1,000 of music into that fire. Then he took this backpack off, and he had all the covers. Now, normally, we throw those in the dumpster. That's a lot of excess plastic. Just pull out the paper and the CD, throw that in the fire, and throw the plastic into the dumpster because plastic and fire is not a good mix. And, and so, but, but he, he got by because it was all in the backpack. And so he comes up and he opens his backpack and there's about 80 CD covers just right down to the campfire. It totally buried the flame. You could not see the flame. And pretty soon smoke starts to come out of that thing. Black, toxic smoke. Now, if you've never burned CDs, you have no, I can tell you the smell of burnt CDs. I'm telling you, I have breathed more black toxic smoke in my life that's healthy, but it has been worth every minute of it. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, black smoke, it's not white, it's black, okay? There's something in that, okay? I mean, it's just coming out of there. It just kind of represents their, their issues, and I mean, I'm telling you, it's coming out of there, and I'm looking at that thing, and all of a sudden, a big wind comes up, and it hits that smoke, black toxic smoke, and it blows it right into the audience, the audience was seated on a hill like this, like an amphitheater, a natural amphitheater, and people are gagging and they're coughing. And I'm thinking, man, we were having a great meeting. God, why did you do that? Have you ever questioned God? So I said, okay, everybody get up. Let's go to the other side. And we turned the speakers around, and now we just had the people on the other side while the wind was blowing in our face and blowing the fire that way. 
And I was kind of questioning, why did that happen? Because at that moment, when he put those things in the fire, all I can tell you is, it was like God stepped on the scene. That testimony service went for another hour, people getting right with God, people getting saved. And I'll never forget, there was a young man about 30 minutes after that happened who stepped to the microphone, deeply moved, smile on his face. He said, man, he said, when Dylan gave that testimony, he said, I was seated right over there. And he turned around and he looked back right at the hill that was now empty. He said, I knew. He said, I came to this Christian school in 10th grade. He said, I lied to get in. He said, I'm not a Christian. He said, I was priding myself. I'm only a couple of weeks away from graduation. I was priding myself in the fact that I'm going to graduate from a Christian school and I'm not a Christian. That seems a little different, isn't it? He said, I'm sitting over there on that hillside. He said, Dylan's giving that testimony. He said, I'm thinking to myself, man, I need to get saved. But he said, I couldn't get up. I don't know how to explain it. I couldn't get up. But he said, when that black toxic smoke flew into our faces and you said, get up, he said, I had to get up. He said, when I got up, he said, my favorite teacher was walking right by. I said, Mr. Ham, could I talk to you? And they went in the one he got saved, came out of 30 minutes later, gave a testimony, get saved. That was what the night was like, one right after another. It was unbelievable. And I remember afterwards going up to Dylan, Dylan, what happened? He said, after school, he said, I went home, laid down on the couch, and he said, I wrestled with God. Do you know what Romans chapter 7 did to Dylan? It took away his excuse. You know what his excuse was? Hey, I'm addicted, man. I can't give it up. So his excuse, I can't, was taken away, and he was left with only two solutions, I will or I won't. Because when Jesus will enable you to overcome sin, it's no longer I can't, it's either I will or I won't. I will either trust Jesus to deliver me or I will resist him. And we all know the decision that Dylan made. And I think he made that decision at the campfire when he finally took that back and he threw it in the fire. You know what he was saying? I can't get rid of this stuff, but Jesus can deliver me. I can't in my own strength, but I can through his strength. That's the silver lining of failure. Can I ask every head bowed please and every eye closed, heads are bowed and eyes are closed? This is really one of the central truths of Baptist College of Ministry. If you lived a very defeated, failing Christian life, I can guarantee you if you come here, we will teach you Bible truth of how Jesus can enable you, deliver you, and do what you never thought possible. He can change you. Many of our students give testimony of being delivered from something in their life that was really hindering them. The heads are bowed and eyes are closed. How many out here would say, Preacher, my issue may not be bad music like Dylan? But there's an issue in my life that I have honestly said, I can't do this. I can't give this up. I can't give victory over this. But this morning, God has smote my heart, and I realize in his strength I can. I can do all things through Christ. And God's touched me about that truth this morning. Would you raise your hand high? Just raise it high. Raise it high. You can put your hands down. Now, here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Everybody that raised their hand, I really beg you to do this. Our students will completely identify, if you, 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 if you respond to this, I'd love you to, in just a moment, go to the back, link up with one of our students, and uh, get a prayer partner. In other words, tell them what the issue is that you want deliverance over, and let them pray with you, and maybe show you some verses. And I guarantee you, God's going to lead you to the right student. That'll be a help to you. I'd love for you to leave encouraged. So here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask in just a moment, our pianist will begin to play. And when she begins to play, if you raised your hand and say, you know, God's dealing with me. In my own strength, I know I can't, but through God's strength, I can. I'm just going to invite you to do something. You say, well, preacher, I can't walk an aisle. That's the point. <laughs> Trust Jesus. Get up out of your seat. Go to the back. 
and say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to pray with somebody who understands, somebody who will pray with me, who understands, been there maybe before I have, and seen victory that I haven't seen, but they can encourage me, and they can pray, and maybe you'll have a, 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 somebody will be praying for you now for weeks, and we'll ask them to keep praying for you. So I'm going to ask you, friends, if God's touched your heart about this truth, I'm going to invite you right now, would you just right now, as the piano plays, just stand right to your feet, open your eyes, and just head to the back. Would you do that? We'll have a, different students just get right with you. In my own strength, I can't. I can't. In my own strength. We'll make sure our fellowship officers are in the back. If you're an officer, make sure you're back there. Now, if you, if you have a pastor, a youth pastor here, or a parent here, and you just want to pray with them, that's fine too. But get with somebody. Pray about it. Say, so, you know, there's an area of my life I just seem to be defeated in. Maybe it's just spending time with God. Maybe it's winning people to Jesus. I don't know, but you found yourself defeated over and over and over again. Why don't you take that first step? So I can't, but in Jesus I can. Do what Dylan did. Take that first step of faith. He threw the CDs in the fire. You know what he's saying? I need to be delivered. I'm believing Jesus is going to do it, so I don't need this music anymore. I'm believing Jesus can deliver me. Don't hesitate to head the back or if you've got a pastor, youth pastor, whatever, you want to pray right where you are, tap on the shoulder, head out. There's places to pray around the building. Just head on back. Would you do that? 